Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, today, me and my friend, Dr. Peter Weinstein, sit down and we talk about fatigue in medicine. We talk about how medicine is a marathon, but so many of us run it like a daily sprint. Uh, I love sitting down with Dr. Peter Weinstein. He is a mentor and a friend of mine. Um, you may hear some familiarity in this conversation, and that's authentic. That's just because I genuinely really enjoy him, and I, I know him uh, I know him well, and so I'm really glad that we just got to talk about this. We start talking about physical preparation for practice, mental preparation for practice. We talk about um, the control that we have and the levers that we can pull to, uh, to make practice more of what we want it to be and to make it more what's sustainable. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the Cone of Shame podcast, Dr. Peter Weinstein. Thanks for being here. Dr. Rourke, pleasure to always hang with you. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, man. You uh, you and I go way back. I remember talking to you. You were a mentor to me in, uh, in just in general thought on vet business uh, and especially on, on speaking and lecturing when I was in vet school. Uh, I remember... I distinctly remember a pep talk and some good advice I got from you on a bus at the AVMA convention when I was about a second year uh, vet student. Uh, you have done you've done a lot of all the things. Um, in in all honesty, uh, in to, total candor, you are one of my favorite people to talk to in the industry. Uh, it is because you think outside the box and you have a background. You have an MBA. You have been a practice owner. You have been the president of the Southern California Veterinary Medical Association. Uh, you've been the president of Vet Partners, which is a national consultant agency working inside of vet medicine. You have been on the, uh, you've been the chair of the Veterinary Economic Strategy Committee uh, of the AVMA's econo- uh, economics division. You have done, uh, you've done a ton of things. You have uh, published your book, The E-Myth Veterinary Edition, which if uh, people consider themselves to be uh, business book aficionados and you haven't read the E-Myth or the E-Myth co-authored with Peter Weinstein, you are 100% missing out. So you have you have an amazingly diverse and interesting resume. And so I'm always glad to get to talk to you. Well, you just told me how old I was there, Dr. Rourke. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, you, you know there. What? I went to veterinary kindergarten and you were there. <laughs> I feel like you were old when you were there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I... I, I, I joked with you when we last saw you that I have an email from you from like 2009 or something like that or 2007 it was way back when that you sent me when you yeah. were the president of the VBMA at uh, at University of Florida so I have evidence six yeah I have evidence that you actually went to vet school <laughs> well you and I you and I have gotten to talk a bit recently it's been pretty fantastic uh, as the world has opened up a little bit I've done a, a couple of trips. So I went out to Western Vet Conference and then I went out to Denver uh, to do some work with PSI Vet. And those are the only two trips that I've made. And you have been at both of them and we've gotten to have dinner at both of them. So you and I have gotten to catch up a lot, which has been really phenomenal. Uh, one of the things that we talked about that I want to talk about with you some more here, the troops are tired. You know, uh, over the course of the pandemic, uh, there was a lot of discussion about fatigue in practices, and there's just wear and tear on our on our paraprofessionals and on our doctors, and people generally burning out and just 
uh, we're, I, I'm thinking a lot these days about leading tired teams. I guess that's that's sort of the the topic I'm really interested in is, is knowing that people have a lot on their plates, that they're feeling stress and fatigue. How do, we, how do we motivate people and how do we lead people when 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 we can't, you know, necessarily make them promises of sunshine and rainbows? You know, how do, how do we keep them going? And I, and I really liked when I talked with you, the phrase that you said was you said, well, you know, veterinary medicine is a marathon. And a lot of us are running it like a sprint or like a series of sprints. And so I, I wanted to pick that conversation back up here and unpack your thoughts a bit more on 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 what's sustainable. But it's it's a great discussion. And it, it's a combination of physical health and mental health that goes into running a marathon. A marathon is, is not just your ability physically to do 26.2 miles. It's your ability mentally to, to go 26.2 miles. In veterinary medicine, we, we tend to run, 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 run throughout the day and get exhausted. And then we do it again the next day. And we do it yeah. again the next day. And we do it again the next day. And we do it again the next day. And we do it again the next day. Uh, sorry if it was repetitive, if the record was skipping. But, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I think every once in a while, we don't prepare ourselves physically because it's a very physically demanding profession. And we definitely don't prepare ourselves mentally for this long-term situation, which is why I think we see attrition in um, the paraprofessional. And I think we're yeah. starting to see more and more attrition in the professional levels is because we don't we don't go through the training to run the marathon and I, and I think the training is taking time to eat correctly it's taking time to prepare physically and mentally it's also taking time to rest you can't run a marathon every day you have to rest between marathons and build yourself back up so that's why I think this that analogy applies very much in veterinary medicine. The question is, how do we create the resources so that teams are are preparing for that marathon every day so that they can they can sustain themselves long term? Yeah. I I agree. I agree with that. I, I came up with the mantra of um, make it work. That was that was what I heard was make it work. Make it work. And and I don't want to go too far in this. I think people rush to extremes. It's either uh, it's either make it work every da- every time, you know, suck it up, or it's um, you know, don't ever, uh, don't ever, don't ever over exert yourself. And you go, well, neither of those is true. You know, we've we've got a profession that that doesn't necessarily fit straight up business hours. I, th- I think that that's probably baked in. I had a um, I had a case yesterday, and I was in the I was in the clinic and. And I, you know, I looked at my schedule and I was like, this all looks really manageable. And then uh, a husky that couldn't stand came in the door and they were like, it's just a cute onset. It was an eight-year-old husky came in the door and they said, hey, can you look at this? And of course I look and the dog's gums are just yellow. And it turns out this dog's got IMHA and I'm trying to get, you know, I'm trying to get the dog set up and stabilize and uh, ultimately talk to the owners about what's possible and, and get a diagnosis for them and things like that. And, you know, ultimately things came together and I got out of the practice, you know, not too far after, after closing time, but it was just one of those things where that's kind of, there are things that are part of the job, I guess is what I'm trying to get to. You know, you can't just be like, all right, quitting time. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know what's wrong with your dog. See you later. Um, you know, there's, there's always going to be these things that are going to push us a bit. I think to your point, it's one thing to sprint. It's another thing to sprint 
every single day and have a plan to sprint every day for the rest of your career. Is that, I mean, is, is that, am I accurately sort of summing up your position? A- absolutely. A- absolutely. And see, we control, we can control our appointment books. And all too often we let our clients control our appointment books. Yeah. And all too often we let our client service teams control our appointment books without any direction. But you know, as a single doctor practice, trying to, just as an example, as a single doctor practice, trying to integrate surgeries into outpatient, well, you know what's going to happen. You're going to get into the spay at lunchtime and you're going to drop a stump or mm-hmm. it's going to be a pio or something off the wall. And all of a sudden your 2.30 appointment now becomes a 3.30 appointment because your would look to be an easily triaged surgical time now becomes a mess. Well, what if you just had a surgery day and an outpatient day? What if you just did your surgeries in the morning and had a break for lunch and then you went to your outpatient? What about taking control of the way things are so that you have the ability to to take a break and maybe take a nap, maybe get some lunch, maybe not have to put in a urinary catheter so you can actually go to the bathroom, you know, or where where depends. I don't know what you prefer, depends or a catheter. Um, (laughs) uh, But... The concept of suck it up is not relevant in 2021. The concept of balancing your practice, your life, and taking care of your team. Um, Simon Sinek's book after um, Start With Why was uh, Leaders Eat Last. Well, yeah. and it's, it's all about leaders taking care of their teams. Well, you know, it, it, we have to do that as well. And, and I think we need to be ultra sensitive to the the challenges that COVID has presented from a physical standpoint and from a neg- uh, from a mental standpoint, on top of what already existed in terms of challenging inefficiencies within our, our practice model. Yeah, I I like that a lot. I think one of the one of the sayings I've picked up that I that I like a lot is that life balance happens three months from now. And what 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 I mean when I say that is, um, I think a lot of us end up bogged down and kind of overwhelmed and we feel like, oh my God, I, my, you know, clearly my time is not allocated correctly. I don't have boundaries. I, I, I'm, I'm completely overrun. I need to fix this right this second. And when I say life balance happens three months from now, what I'm really saying is the systems, policies, plans, and commitments that we make now are what are going to dictate our life balance three months from now. I think a lot of people feel hopeless because they look at themselves and say, I don't know how to make tomorrow better than today. And I say, I don't know that you can make tomorrow better than today, but you can make February better than November. That's for sure. Like you, you definitely have, have power to, to make those changes and to start, you know, setting some policies that are going to protect you in the future. So I, I don't know. I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I, I think, I think a lot of us think of work-life balance. I, I think, I think we put too much emphasis on the individual saying, no, I'm not available for this or the individual holding their their personal boundaries. And what I found with personal boundaries, um, the, the, the story that I like a lot is there is this um, the guy that wrote um, Deep Work. His name is Cal Newton, I think his name is. And so he wrote this book called Deep Work. And it's all about, you know, the benefit of un interfered with time. It's, it's head down work where no one bothers you. You don't respond to email. You just get work done. And I deeply believe in that. I think he's totally right. So apparently he writes the book and he goes on the book tour and again and again, people came up to him and said, yeah, this is really great. Why don't you tell my boss 
that I'm not that I'm not going to respond to email for 90 minutes and that's not the end of the world because we get rated on how fast we respond to email. And Cal sort of realized like, oh crap, you know, I can talk to the individual, but ultimately if the organizational culture doesn't allow this type of deep work or this type of independent, you know, sort of boundary setting, these people are sort of screwed. And, and that was sort of the origin story of his next book, which is uh, The End of Gmail. But, um, but, but I think about that a lot in vet medicine. I think, you know, we preach to veterinarians, you got to set boundaries, you got to set boundaries. And, and there's truth to that. And, and you do need to look out for yourself. At the same time, I think the organizational power to, to set up systems that promote healthy lifestyles is pretty, in, is pretty large. This concept of boundaries is something that veterinarians, uh, well, we, we haven't always had boundaries. Uh, and, I, and I think part of what's happened with COVID is, is exacerbated that because we haven't learned how to say no. Uh, I think uh, we've been afraid to turn down clients because if we don't let them come in now, they won't come in later. And mm -hmm. what's happened in, in many cases is by not saying no, we have actually done damage to existing clients because we've seen non, you know, not prior clients to the detriment of existing clients. So our, our unwillingness to say no, you know, you can't get in to see a doctor for six months and that's routine. You can't get in to see a veterinarian for six days and a panic ensues. So yeah. we have to start to set boundaries within our practice and we have to start to set boundaries by the vision, mission and values that our practice has. And maybe, just maybe, there are clients that you don't need to see because they don't adhere to your vision, mission, and values. Your staff needs to know what your vision, mission, and values are from that standpoint. I think the boundaries start to come, and it's not just a fee schedule. It's a standard of care. It's the business hours that you're open. The balance from a life standpoint comes from a balance on a day-to-day -day standpoint. Um, I love this life balance occurs three months from now. I would challenge everybody who hears this to take their four weeks of paid vacation, six weeks of paid vacation, and book them now. Get them on the calendar yeah, a year in advance. Mm -hmm. And that gives you something yeah. to look forward to. Because what generally happens is we book vacation in a reactionary fashion, not a proactive fashion. Yeah, that's that's 100% 100, 100 what I kind of learned in, in my career. I, I, I After going a couple of years without taking a vacation, um, I, I really kind of had to had to look at that and say, well, how is this going to happen? And it just, it never shapes up and my schedule never opens up to allow me, uh, you know, six weeks from now to have a vacation. That's just, it's just never going to happen. The only way it happens is in October, November, I look at my calendar for the next year and put those, put those times on there and say, this is, this is when I'm going. And it's either because there's specifically something I want to do and I'm booking it, which is ideal, or, and this is kind of what I push for, if you, even if you don't have a place to go, put their vacation on the calendar, just put it down and go ahead and ask for the days off and get it. And if, if it gets pushed around, that's fine. You can move that week or you can move that long weekend, but at some point you, you, you're not going to delete it. It, need, it needs to get scheduled in. It needs to be a thing. Uh, and, and you need to be out of the clinic. And I think a lot of us just, I don't know. I think it's exactly what your point is. I think, I think you make a strong, a strong argument. I think we, a lot of us have fear that if we're not there, then our clients are going to go somewhere else. And that's if you're the practice owner, if you're the associate vet, the idea that like, if I'm not there, then my clients are going to be frustrated because they can't see me or they're going to go see another vet and maybe they'll like, they'll like that other associate vet better. And like, whatever the, the catastrophic thoughts we have are, 
I, I do think that we tell ourselves we're too important to be gone uh, and we just never get around to putting our days off on the calendar. And then and then they roll by or uh, we're not compensated in a way that rewards that at all. And, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but I do remember that for me early on, you know, uh, with production based compensation and pro sale and things like that. Uh, I took a financial hit to not to take vacation. And I thought, I'm fine. I'm I am I am young and energetic and I don't need to be away and I don't want to incur this financial hit. So I'm just going to I'm just going to work through. And, um, you know, we do incentivize people not resting and taking care of themselves that way. Yeah, well, there's so many things you just said that I want to jump all over. But, um, you know, sure. we as a profession, we want to be loved. Andy, listen, dude, I want to love you, man. <laughs> You're 3000 miles away yeah. and I want to give you a big hug. We try. So as a result. We try to be everything <laughs> to everybody. And the miniature everything to everybody yeah. is the miniature no, nothing to anybody. We are so t- we become so exhausted trying to be everything to everybody. And, and I think it's because we want to be loved. And <laughs> I'll blame the vet schools on that one because they spent four years beating the love out of us, uh, you know, with all of the, <laughs> the forced education and, and drinking from a fire hose and, and uh, and, you know, this, we, we leave vet school with cerebral constipation and, and uh, you know, we then come out of school wanting to be loved. And, and that means trying to be everything to everybody. And it doesn't work. It's exhausting trying to be everything to everybody. You know it as a speaker mm-hmm. and an author. I know it as a speaker and an author. You know it as a veterinarian. I know it as a veterinarian. We need to find those clients that love us and take good care of us, which is why I think speaking personally, and, and I've said this in, in, in public as well, I think veterinary medicine is the perfect profession for a concierge business. I think we could choose 500 clients, charge them a thousand bucks a year or something like that, and mm-hmm. net 50, 50% working part-time and have 500 clients that love us and not 1,500 yeah. clients who don't. Take the top 20% of your clients, cream, take them off the top, give them everything that they want, at a high level, give them everything they want at a high level, and you'll be happy, and they'll be happy. I think that part of I think that part of that comes from I think is, so. Need to be love. I, I I completely agree with that, and then also serve, serving the people who best who fed, best fit us. But the need to be loved uh, part of it for me, I think I think it, I think it's a need to be right. Um, it, it's a, it's a need to be perfect, right? It, it's it's the perfectionist tendencies, and I I think that there's this cruel reality in vet medicine where. Um, what gets you to the top of the class in vet school is what tears you down as a veterinarian. So like you, the getting everything right, getting the perfect score perfection, that is that is a highly prized trait in vet school. And then when you get into vet medicine, you realize that it's a wildly imperfect world and a wildly imperfect system working with wildly imperfect pet owners, uh, you know, uh, and wildly imperfect circumstances. And you think, oh, perfection is not, possible yet i have been pushed to achieve it and I, I think that that's where people come into the be all things to all people and they want to be loved i think a lot of us want to be perfect and we will lay down to be perfect because that's how we've been trained and the truth is perfection is uh, um it's impossible in a complex world but it's also destructive a- absolutely i i think um i think we've had this conversation about veterinary school I think we've had this conversation about veterinary school where we choose at veterinary, we adversely choose veterinary students for a profession that doesn't need 
as much IQ, but now needs more EQ. And I, I think that mm. if we were to focus more on a balanced individual with communication skills, some leadership skills, and clinical skills, they might be a better contributor long-term to the profession and less likely to get burned out than those people who have always been at the top of the class, made it through vet school at the top of the class, only to find out that there is no top of the class when you get out of vet school. And every day you will be having to deal with mistakes, maybe that you made, maybe that somebody that's part of your team has made. And um, there is no definition of perfection in veterinary medicine. I don't think you can define perfection in veterinary medicine. This episode of the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast is brought to you by POP. Guys, POP is a membership service for pet owners. It gives them unlimited 24-7 access to vets for chats, video calls, and texts. Think about the difficulty pet owners have getting in for appointments right now. Think about the uh, the fact that we want them to have good advice and have access to licensed veterinarians for support. And we want care to be affordable. Guys, you can have up to six pets on a POP account also. In the case of an emergency, POP can provide up to $3,000 in financial support for pet owners. Guys, check it out. Learn more about it. POP.com. If you like the service, you want to try it out, you can use my code. I have a promo code. It's Andy Rourke, and it will give you 25% off the first three months. Use it before it expires. This is a limited time code. I hope you'll take a look. Hey, guys, I just want to jump in real quick with a couple of announcements over on the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. Stephanie Goss and I are breaking out one of our Hall of Fame episodes. It's called Where Do You Find New Hires? I don't I don't know if it uh, I don't know. It feels like that some people out there are trying to hire people. I don't know. Maybe that's crazy talk. I suspect it's not. How do you find new hires and uh, and how do you get them into your practice? How do you get the right people on board when it is really hard to hire? That's what we're talking about. I'll put a link in the show notes over to the Uncharted podcast uh, and you guys can definitely check that out. On the Uncharted side of the house, we have just finished up our culture conference. It was the biggest virtual conference we've ever had. Uh, the biggest virtual event we've ever had. It was big. I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get at is uh, large. It was large. And it uh, flipping awesome. God, it's so... If, it filled my bucket. You ever done like a program and then you're like, man, I feel energized coming out of that and not let down. That was the Uncharted Culture Conference last week. And so I am still riding the high of that. So that is in the books, but don't fear. We have got a Communications Foundations Workshop with Stephanie Goss that is coming up on November the 7th from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern, 1 to 3 p.m. Pacific. We have got content calendars that will cure your creative burnout. I'm going to take another pass at that. Content calendars that will cure your creative burnout. That is with the dynamic duo, uh, Tyler Grogan and Vet Tech Kelsey Beth Carpenter. So uh, Kelsey Carpenter and Tyler Grogan, who run social media for Uncharted and Dr. Andy Rourke, um, who are both just wonderfully creative, articulate, uh, it's amazing people, are talking about building content calendars that uh, make your life easier. And so if you're like, man, I'm, I don't know what to post. I'm tired of figuring out what to post. I'm tired of figuring out what to uh, send out in emails. I just... We got you covered. Uh, check that out. That is November 12th. It is from noon to, uh, so sorry, it's from 2 to 3.30 Eastern time, 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Pacific time. Both of those workshops are free to Uncharted members. They are $99 to the public. You can grab them. And if you are a practice owner, 
the first ever in-person practice owner summit. It's going down December 2nd through the 4th. It is in Greenville, South Carolina. That's right. What did I say? I said it's in Greenville, South Carolina. The magic is back, gang. We are getting back together. This is going to be a smaller event. Um, You can check out registration for more information on COVID protocols, but we are doing it. Practice owners coming together, uh, circling up, collaborative learning, uh, working together on their practices, shared experiences. This is going to be such good stuff. And man, it's going to feel good to be back together with the gang. Uh, If you want to be a part of that, head over again to unchartedvet.com. Get signed up. You need to be a a member to come, but you can get a membership. So you can become a member and then you can uh, head into the practice owner conference. We would love to see you there. Anyway, guys, that's enough of that stuff. Even though it's awesome, we should get back into this episode. What, uh, What do we do? to uh so first of all let me let, let's take this back to the paraprofessionals and sort of say what are the things that you see coming down the pipe that will help make their lives better like how do we what, what, what do we do to help paraprofessionals who they they didn't they don't have they don't have nearly as much control over the race as the vets do right like i'm i'm i have a lot more decision making power than my technicians do and so uh, I feel like vet technicians and, and and front desk staff to a lesser degree just get sucked up a lot of time into what's going on around them. Are there things that we should be doing as practices, as organizations to protect our paraprofessionals? Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to see paraprofessionals owning veterinary hospitals. I want to Do you really? I, oh yeah. I, I would here's my perfect business model, Dr. Rourke, in twenty twenty two. Three veterinarians each working three days a week in a practice, owning 20% each, 20% of the practice owned by the manager and 20% owned by a technician. They all share in the profits. The doctors focus on being on doctors. The management team focuses on getting the work done correctly. And the technicians focus on the animal care and oversight from that standpoint. They have governance at the top because there are three doctors making the decision on the standards of care. The doctors don't have to worry about the hiring, the firing, the finances, and everything else, because if they are good doctors, they get to share in the profits. But now you've got a technician with skin in the game who has a voice. Mm -hmm. You have a manager with skin in the game who has a voice. And I don't have a problem if you have a client service person who wants to have some skin in the game and has a voice. I think we need to give some ownership to our paraprofessional team so that they feel that they have a voice in building the practice. I think... Somebody asked me um, at a meeting not that long ago, what do I think the greatest weaknesses in veterinary medicine? Maybe I should ask you that. Let me ask you that question first before I answer it. What do you think is the greatest weakness in the veterinary profession? So the greatest weakness in the veterinary profession, I think, is, let's say, this is, this is not, a, this is not an, an easy question. Um, and it depends on what we mean by weakness, right? So, so from a from a from a weakness, so from a from a pure business standpoint, the greatest weakness we have is our inability to um, to just say no a lot of the times, right? So, in in no other business is there a scenario where the worker desperately wants to do the work, like there is in vet medicine, and and I don't. I don't want to change that, but I do think from a business standpoint, the fact that someone brings me their dog with Parvo and they don't have any money and I desperately want to do this work. I, I think that that's, that makes things challenging from a, from a business standpoint, as far as like, how do we, you know, how do we, uh, 
I, I, how do we, you know, how do we go forward uh, and, and run a, a classic business and 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 have boundaries when you desperately want to help? I think that's sort of an interesting, conflicting problem. So I'd say, yeah, from a business standpoint, it's a a, a desire not to say no uh, to to doing work. Um, yeah, I think the other, I think the other part is probably what what I said before of. Um, perfectionism as a problem in our profession uh, it, it is having is having is having sky high standards in an industry that has um just so many conflicting variables and obstacles and uh and no perfect outcomes so let me work let me run with that for a second before i give you my answer okay yeah in in the in the e-myth revisited by michael gerber and to a, to a lesser degree the e-myth veterinarian michael talks about uh, entrepreneurs and small business owners wearing three hats, mm-hmm. the, the hat of the technician, the hat of the manager, and the hat of the entrepreneur. All right. The technician is the, is the individual who does the technical work, surgery, putting in catheters, whatever the case may be. The manager gets the work done and the entrepreneur has a vision for the practice. What you said by the, the fact that we just can't say no is putting the technician hat on. Mm-hmm. It's basically... I'm a technician. I want to do the work. I want to do the work. I want to do the work. Right. I want to do the work. And that's what veterinarians are really good at is being a yep. technician. Perfectionism. You know, as, a, as an entrepreneur, there is no such thing as perfectionism. And as a manager, your goal is to get people to become perfect. So to a degree, perfectionism is really technician as well, and maybe to a little mm-hmm. bit management. So my feeling in one of the greatest weaknesses in veterinary medicine comes from a lack of true leadership and a lack of true entrepreneurship, because I still think that most veterinary practices are just to quote Michael Gerber, technicians who had an entrepreneurial seizure. <laughs> yeah. And so lack of leadership in a practice, because if you're a real leader and a real entrepreneur, you will come up with a way to deliver the care and the service and take care of your team so that you're satisfied, the client is satisfied, and the staff is satisfied, and the patient is cared for. That's what leaders do. Technicians do more work. Leaders find ways to do work easier, better, smoother, faster, happier, so that the team is well-balanced at all levels. What do, you, what do you think about the idea that it's time to shift how we prioritize uh, you know, our, our, fo- our focuses inside the practice? So uh, I, I've, I've been feeling more and more that it's time for us to take care of our team first and trust that the team will take care of the clients as opposed to what feels like the classic example, which is take care of the clients and everything will work out for your business. What, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, we have lived since Noah in a doctor-centric business. Everything mm-hmm. is all about the doctor and the doctoring. In 2021, we need to be a team-centered business to delivering client-centered care. And the team has to help build that experience for the client. The, the, my envisioning of the practice of the future, and we're talking about paraprofessionals, is, is delegating them with the responsibility of, of better defining that client experience and the patient experience and giving them the leadership role to make those things happen. We need to create a team-centered healthcare model where the team has a voice in ultimately making the decisions that that support the vision, the mission, and the core values that the practice has. And we need to let the team, you know, if you go to a team right now, we're, what is it, uh, sometime in October, 
and said, listen, Christmas is coming up. Christmas is on a Saturday this year. Um, you know, when should we close? What days should be closed? Uh, you know, when when is it? When do you want to be with your family? And you let them have a voice and you say, you know what, that's what we're going to do. And maybe you miss out on a really busy day, but you listen to your team and you let them have a voice and you supported them. They're going to be there next year. Whereas in another practice, it maybe had the staff, maybe they were open Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and whatever the legal holiday they took, but they didn't take anything more than that. Maybe mm -hmm. that team gets a little bit more burned out. Maybe that team starts to look for a practice that has a better culture that they can work at. I, I really do think the move from a doctor-centric healthcare delivery model to a team-centric healthcare delivery model with responsibilities delegated, with decision-making shared, that ultimately delivers on a, a client experience and a patient experience. I think we need to start to move away from the, the classic uh, 1920s um, sweatshop. Oh, I'm going to get some mm. pushback on that, aren't I? Uh, some, <laughs> somebody's going to be unhappy with that. From the 1920s sweatshop that said, hey, I work 60 hours a week. You need to work 60 hours a week, too, mm -hmm. to a, hey, I'm going to hire three people to do uh, the work of one and a half. And it's all fine. We'll get we'll get it all taken care of. Instead of trying to push people, continue to push square people, square pegs into round holes, let's just see if we can smooth out some of the edges and get a whole bunch of people fitting into one hole. Do you, do you feel like we're starting to see a cultural arms race where uh, where practices, especially corporate practices, uh, so I think they're sort of driving this. There's such a there's such competition for labor right now, uh, skilled professionals, it feels to me like we're seeing big jumps forward in things like work-life balance and, um, you know, holidays and uh, programs to help take care of staff, um, as opposed to just, you know, a battle in salaries. I do think salaries are going up, but um, but I, I, I feel like the com the landscape is getting more competitive about taking care of the staff and making your place a, a, a place that people would want to be. Are you seeing that? I'm reading about it. I'm hearing yeah. about it. But let's just say that in 2021, there's been a lot of bright, shiny objects that people are chasing. Classic veterinarian. Mm -hmm. It's like squirrel, 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 squirrel. Uh, you know, we're chasing new, bright, shiny objects. And culture is the buzzword that many corporations are using. It's the stickiness, how long they can stand with that culture support. That's what I want to see. It's 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 marketing. It's the new Coke. It's the new Tesla. It's the new this. But how long can it stay on the market and do that and still be profitable, especially when you're talking about corporations? God, I hope they can stick to it. I hope that we can continue to yeah. see improvement in cultures. Uh, I I hope we can continue to see. Um, I hope we can continue to see the ongoing salary um, escalation. That we're getting, I, I do think that there's a there's a, a great upswing in salaries. I'd love to see um, a greater upswing in salaries for the paraprofessionals. We need to start paying our paraprofessionals and a life salary that they can live in the communities in which they work and exclamation point can actually afford to pay for the veterinary care at the hospitals at which they work as well. And, and to do that, we need to have more profitable practices. They need to be more efficient. They need to be more productive. We need to have, we need to create veterinary careers for people that we hire and not just jobs. And that 
basically goes back to some of the things we talked about with the paraprofessionals, which is training and giving them the opportunity to grow, giving them the tools and the resources to grow and giving them the opportunity to be leaders within the practice and have a voice that's heard. Yeah. There's, there is some data that's come out that sort of people are sort of pointing to, and, and, and this is, this is not, not new, but we were seeing that pet owners are starting to hit near the top of their financial flexibility, meaning uh, it, it's unclear how much elasticity there is in pricing, uh, meaning how much you know, vet medicine can continue to increase their prices uh, with pet owners being able and willing to pay for those prices. When you talk about running a healthier practices, do you see some of that coming from increases in prices? Are you seeing uh, more of that coming from efficiency and changes in how we do business? Because hey, I want that too. I 100%, I, I, want, to, I want our, our paraprofessionals to have living wages. I want them to be able to, to afford to have a career and not a job. I want them to stay with us. I, I want to see long-term paraprofessionals uh, in our practices. And I'm just thinking about how do we, how do we make that happen? And so when you talk about a more financially healthy practice, what does that look like in your mind? I think instead of, I think instead of looking just at revenue and expenses, I think the practice should set to begin with a profitability mark. Let's just say 20% and work backwards. How can we get there? What on the expense mm -hmm. side can we control? What on the revenue side? can we control so that we get that 20%? Because generally what happens is we set a growth mark of 10% in revenue and we say, we'll try to keep the expenses the same. So we'll get a little bit of a push in, in profitability. But what if we started with a profit margin and reverse engineered that profit margin, focusing on paying our people more, maybe keeping our inventory a little bit better under control? Because as, as you know, there are three major cost centers that covers 60% or more of your um, expenses. People at the doctor side, people at the paraprofessional side, and cost of goods or products. The cost of goods, you actually can start to make cuts in and, do, and still be a, an effective and efficient practice. The people side is where I'd like to see some of that redirected. So if we take that 60% and tweak it, maybe drop it a little bit, could your profits be there? And maybe some of that profits gets fed back to the staff. So people need to be paid appropriately, but we need to keep that profit margins. Then we get to the pricing side uh, at the top. Well, let me address one more thing on, on, the, um, on, the, on, the rev, on the expense side. We have large hospitals with not enough doctors that aren't being utilized to their full capacity. So for example, if you do boarding and grooming, that boarding is probably working its 30% uh, um, efficiency over the year. It's at 100% efficiency over the holidays. Yep. But if you average it out over the year, it's only at 30%. But you're still paying for that part of the physical plant. Same thing with grooming. So how can we create greater utilization of our physical plants so we get a greater return on the physical location? I, I guess that with curbside, what it told us is we don't need a, a waiting room. Make yeah. the cars the waiting room, add more exam rooms, get people from car to exam room, back to car. And um, maybe, uh, you know, what do, do we need all of the bells and whistles? The bottom line is there's a number of areas on the expense side that can be tweaked. If you look at the revenue side, um, you know, can we continue to have a pharmacy and be cost competitive with the Chewies and Amazons and Targets and Costco's and Walgreens of the world? 
can we um, can we figure out whether we want to run a practice that's based upon a higher quality of client who spend more, but we see less often, which would be earns, or as Mike uh, Mike Dix, when he was with the economics division, said, earns or turns. Earns means you make more money per visit. Turns means you see more people at a mm-hmm. at a lower visit um, cost. I think it's very hard to be a practice that does both. So yeah. can you decide which practice model you want? Do you want to be the high volume, low cost and s- try to keep your, you know, see more people? Then you have to leverage your staff. Or do you want to see fewer people at a higher cost? I think the way veterinary medicine starts to make more on the revenue side is to leverage technicians in exam rooms, utilizing them to the ultimate abilities that they have and to what the Practice Act allows them to perform and to start having a line item where it actually reflects to the clients a charge for technician time in the same way that your dentist has a line item that charges for their hygienist time. We need to start reflecting the fact that our technicians are generating income for us, thus they are an asset, and not just on the expense side of liability. So leverage staff to, to generate income, reward them with having their name on the invoice. You know, your technician today was Susie, your technician, to, your receptionist today was Crystal, and start to give a name to the team uh, who are delivering veterinary care as well. So uh, it, whether that answered your question or not, it was a pretty roundabout way to say that we can, we just need to look at reimagining our business models so that we're more effective, more efficient, greater utilization of staff, maybe adding two technicians instead of a doctor to do more. Um, and the doctor's doing what they, there are only three things that average doctor has to do, diagnose, prescribe, and do surgery, and maybe give a rabies shot, depending on your state. Anytime they're doing not doing one of those, then that doctor is being inefficient. Everything else yeah. can be delegated if you train them how to do it. So I'm yeah. sorry, I, sorry I went off on, on that one. No, that's great. That's fantastic. Where, uh, where can people find you online? Where can they uh, read more of your writing? Where can they find the Emith Veterinarian? They can find the Emith Veterinarian on Amazon, both the Audible book. If you're not tired of hearing me now, you can listen to me on Audible. Uh, you can get a hard copy of the book. You will see more and more of me in the next few months as uh, we start to launch a new business. Um, myself and a business partner are going to be launching a new business that's going to focus on on some niche areas. But what I'm looking forward to in my next life is to help create simple solutions for practices for the things that are pain points, such as compliance, regulatory issues, OSHA, HR, um, malpractice, uh, all of these things that are just like little gnats or fleas sucking the blood out of you that you can't find the answer for when you need them. We're looking forward to building some different resources to help practices get the help that they need when they need it. And so that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to doing in the, in the, in the years ahead is, is continue to, I, I want to put the F back in fun in veterinary practices. I, I really do think we've lost the fun. And we all got into this because of the thing that's the animals. And we've gotten distracted from the animals to the, the stressors of the people and the finance and everything else. And, and I think you and I talked about this when, I, when we were together more recently. I said, you know, if we had socialized veterinary medicine and all we had to do is go in and take care of pets 
and the bills were taken care of and we got paid a fair and equitable salary and our staff members got paid fair and equitable salary and we didn't have to talk about money, think about how much less stress we would all have in our practices. I think money, student debt, cost of care are huge. Um, I mean, they're great white sharks taking bites out of us every day. No, I, I, no, I completely agree. No, I love, I love that you, uh, I love that you enjoy uh, the profession and, and I appreciate all that you do to, to help support it. So guys, uh, Peter, thank, thanks a lot for being here. Um, I'll put some links down in the show notes to help people uh, find the book and, uh, and look forward to see what you've got coming down the pipes. Andy, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity to hang with you today. And, uh, you know, anytime you want to come back and throw some feces against the wall and see what sticks, I'm all about <laughs> throwing feces. Sounds great. That is, uh, that is it. That is my conversation with Peter Weinstein. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. I always love talking with Peter. Um, yeah, this is hopefully one of those sort of thought-stimulating conversations. It definitely gave me something to think about. If you, uh, if you enjoyed it, um, do me a favor and write an honest review wherever you get podcasts. That always means the world to me. I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, that's what, that's what, that's what keeps us going here. It helps people find the show. Uh, tell your friends, hit share on the episode, you know, help us get the word out. Anyway, that's enough from me. Gang, I hope that you are well. I hope you're getting fired up for Halloween, uh, that you're, uh, yeah, that you're looking forward to getting some candy or giving out some candy or, or just being near candy, uh, if that's your thing. Yeah, I hope, I hope that that is something that is on your radar. Gang, take care. Be well. I'll talk to you later on. Bye.